Seltzer Kings podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad scientists, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight to the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Yeah, okay, Gavin, say what you will about how bad American beer is, but at least we drink ours cold. Yes. The following podcast contains... Like F.U. and and, and S and stuff like that, and then MF and stuff like that. Those are not, those are, those, those are, um... They're not, they're not words. Those are names of spirits. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asked a simple question. When you took a flavor out of a beer with barely any flavor at all and then bottled that, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 418, the Zay Something Different edition of the show where we talk about the hard seltzer of the 1990s, only we called it Zima. Stay tuned. What the hell are you thinking podcast is brought to you by Malt Liquor, the booze that can be whatever you want it to be. When you hear the name Malt Liquor, you probably think of a beer-like product for knocking back 40s with your buddies. But what if Malt Liquor told you Malt Liquor is the basis for many delicious beverages that you enjoy that taste nothing at all like beer? Crisp, refreshing beverages like hard seltzer, Smirnoff Ives, Twisted Tea, Hard Lemonade, and even wine coolers. All made with crisp, clean, clear malt liquor. Malt liquor is more than just an undrinkable beer-like product. It is every beverage that you know and love and drank before you were old enough to know what good alcohol tastes like. Malt liquor. It's not just for Billy D. Williams. It's for you. Zay, you're out for a beer. What do you have? Beer. What if there wasn't any beer? Sorry, guys. Never heard of it. Oh, Zima. Zima's good. Zima? There you go. What is this? Oh, no. Zima's a unique alcohol beverage. I kind of like it. Anything else? Did you get pretzels? What day is this? The first sip of alcohol that I can ever remember tasting came from the same source that so many young boys of my generation experienced it. From my uncle. Did he try to molest you in any way? Absolutely not. This wasn't a church. He wasn't a youth pastor. He was my uncle being a cool uncle. Now, my cool uncle gave me a tiny sip of beer, which I thought was nasty. As I recall, it was Bush Lights, so it was. And he also gave me a tiny sip of peppermint schnapps. Tastes like candy. And I want you and my mother to know that this tiny sip of booze when I was, I don't know, eight or nine years old did not lead to the life of drunken debauchery that you all seem to think that I live. Although, (laughs) it didn't hurt. The reality is I loathe sweet liquor and rarely drink beer if it's not Guinness. So you can't be blaming my drinking today on my Uncle LB. For that, you'll probably need to blame my high school friend, Rich. Does he have a last name? How the fuck would I know? It was 40 years ago. I mean, I'm sure he did, but I don't know it now. On this particular day, Rich asked me on one sunny morning, maybe I wanted to skip school and come with him and a couple of girls to his house. His parents were out of town, and he was thinking, hey, 
You can sit around, smoke some cigarettes, maybe a little weed, play some guitar, and hey, he could rummage around his dad's liquor cabinet. Now I told Rich that I could never do something like that. My education was far too important for me to do something as risky and stupid as that. And besides, I had a big test coming up and I really needed a study. So regretfully, no, Rich, I can't skip school with you. Sounds very unlikely, doesn't it? Yeah, that's because Rich hadn't even finished talking before I was heading out the door for his house. Oh, that was a glorious day. We sat on Rich's back porch just being 16. Which if you've ever been 16, you know how good that can feel. Rich rummaged around and found a bottle of Canadian Mist whiskey and a bottle of 7-Up. And we thought this made us very adult as we sipped our drinks playing Pink Floyd songs on guitar and talking about deep shit. Like how fucking cool we were for sipping Canadian Mist and playing Pink Floyd songs on a guitar at 11 a.m. on a school day. You guys are so sophisticated. I know my memories of that day are obviously clouded by nostalgia, but I remember it being one of the best days of my young life. Even more so because I got away with it. My parents never suspected a thing. It's probably because I was home on time and the honestly tiny amount of booze I consumed was long gone from my system and I had choosed a full pack of gum to hide any kind of telltale odor. But I look back on that day and trace my love of whiskey to thin and that bottle of Canadian Mist. Canadian Mist, a liquor that I wouldn't drink today if you held me at gunpoint. But at 16, you have zero fucking clue what good booze actually tastes like. Which brings me to this week's topic, a mid-90s short-lived and not very good alcoholic drink that made up for what it lacked in taste in branding. By which I mean, of course... Oh, Zima! If you were a member of Generation X, you might remember the taste of Zima, or rather, the lack thereof. If you're a millennial, you almost certainly remember the ubiquitous and quite catchy advertising campaigns, and if you're a Zoomer... You have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about and are probably overhearing this on a Gen X's car speakers while they're driving you to school. Welcome to the show. In the highly unlikely event, you're a baby boomer who knows what a podcast is and have somehow stumbled into this one. You knew about Zima, but considered it a kitty drink and never touched it. You were correct, but still... Fucking boomers. To begin the story of Zima, we need to go back to the late 1980s where beer companies had themselves a little bit of a problem. Anyone need a beer? And the, the answer was increasingly, no. It wasn't just beer. Drinking in general was on a bit of decline for many reasons, spanning from the recent drive to reduce drunk driving, the raising of the drinking age from 18 to 21, and a new focus on health and wellness that swept the nation via a million VCR workout tapes. Hello, Richard Simmons. People were still drinking beer, but the problem for brewers was new people weren't drinking beer. Sales were basically flat through the decade, and they began looking around for new markets. Underage drinking. Well, I mean, they weren't going to put it like that. They would say that they were trying to uh, tap the youth market. Around this same time, a new product was making huge inroads in said youth market. Hello there. My name is Frank Bartles, and this is Ed James. You know, it occurred to Ed the other day that between his fruit orchard and my premium wine vineyard, we could make a truly superior premium grade wine cooler. It sounded good to me, so Ed took out a second on his house and wrote to Harvard for an MBA, and now we're preparing to enter the wine cooler business. We will try to keep you posted on how it's going. Thank you very much for your support. Quoting now from Saucy.com, quote, the first wine coolers were bottled and sold commercially in 1981. 
The wine cooler craze reached its peak in 1987 when wine cooler sales topped a billion dollars annually and the sweet cocktails accounted for 20% of all wines sold in the United States. The original wine cooler was called the California Cooler and was invented by a name named Michael Crete. They had fairly low alcohol content, usually under 6%, matching the 1980s rise in health and fitness consciousness. They contained real juice, which seemed to be a healthier alternative to beer. The wine cooler industry also benefited from the cheap wine prices of the 1980s. Wine sales in the United States surged in the 70s, but in the 1980s, a strong U.S. dollar made imported wine prices more competitive. American winemakers were left with a huge surplus and needed somewhere for their wine to go. As the 1980s went on, sales of California coolers grew, coolers grew, and so did the number of competitors they faced. Brands like Bartles and James and Seagram's became extremely popular. There were over 100 brands on the market with a huge variety of flavors. However, the craze did not last for long, unquote. Now, I was something of a wine cooler aficionado back in the day because, to be honest, I didn't like the taste of beer. You fucking pussy. And wine coolers, with their fruit punch taste and widespread availability, made them easier and preferable for my underage drinking needs. Uh, if you strolled up to the counter with a six-pack of beer, the checkout clerk knew it was beer. But a wine cooler was new, and it didn't look like beer. So many of them would ring you up without even knowing, or at least credibly pretending not to know, that you were underage and that this was an alcoholic beverage. This was long before computer prompts at the register demanded anyone who doesn't qualify for an AARP card to be checked to see if they're of legal age. Also, wine coolers didn't smell like beer on your breath. I mean, they still smell slightly alcoholic, but a parental, in a parental world accustomed to sniffing for Coors consumption, the candy smell of fruit juice with a whiff of wine often got a pass. So I put away a lot of wine coolers between 16 and 21. That explains a lot. The cooler craze only lasted a few years and ended largely because wine, wine prices skyrocketed at the very end of the 1980s. A few bad crops, some new taxes, and all of a sudden, the availability of cheap wine dried up. And the makers of Wine Cooler tried to make up for this by switching to a much cheaper alternative. Malt liquor. <laughs> Wikipedia tells us, quote, malt liquor is a type of mass market beer with a high alcohol content most closely associated with North America. Legally, it often includes any alcoholic beverage with 5% or more alcohol by volume made with malted barley. In common usage, it refers to beers containing a high alcohol content, generally above 6%, which are made with ingredients and processes resembling those of American style lagers, unquote. Back in those days, the common association with malt liquor was of one particular kind of malt liquor, and that kind usually came in 40s. Billy D. Williams talks about the power of Colt 45. You know, I, uh, I've always heard about the power of Colt 45, but I was never sure exactly what that meant, so I got something found out for myself. Hey, Billy. You free tonight? Works every time. The power of Code 45. It works every time. Pod friends, I have had a Colt 45, and not once has a stunning woman rang my door asking if I was free for the evening when I cracked that can or 40. I did once have a homeless dude ask me if he could finish my backwash, so I suspect there might have been some creative license taken with the marketing campaign. And rather less fortunately for the branding of malt liquor in the 1970s and 80s, it was also associated with African-Americans and, like so many other things in the 1970s and 80s, not in a good way. And so, by the mid-80s, the imagery of black youths in the inner cities pouring one out for their homies from their 40 
was firmly branded in the white consciousness. And so the makers of such products could not call their products malt liquor. They called it a malt beverage, which I think you will agree sounds, uh... It's, it's very white. The two, are, however, are exactly the same thing. The only difference is malt beverages doesn't contain hops, and it does produce a moderately alcoholic drink that doesn't really taste like anything if you filter it enough, and therefore, if you put any flavor into it, it can become almost any flavor imaginable. Which brings us back to Zima. It's about damn time. In the early 1990s, Coors Brewing was looking for a cut of a slice of the aforementioned youth market. Beer sales were sliding, wine coolers were on the way out, so Coors was looking for something that could fill the niche wine coolers were vacating. Quoting now from mentalfloss.com, quote, In 1991, with beer sales on the decline across the country, the Coors Company of Golden, Colorado, decided to blend two of the hottest trends in consumer marketing. Clear products like Crystal Pepsi and the smooth, gently intoxicating appeal of wine coolers. By using charcoal to fill the color and taste from their beers, they were able to deliver a vaguely citrus-tasting drink with 4.7% alcohol content, unquote. We talked in detail about the clear craze in episode 331, so take a listen to that for more details. More from Mental Floss, quote, The company asked third-party marketing from firm Lexicon Brandy to give it a name. Jane Espison, who would later become a staff writer for On Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Game of Thrones, dubbed it Zima, the Russian word for winter. Armed with $180 million for the budget for the 1994 launch, Coors peppered television with commercials featuring a spokesman who exchanged his S's for Z's. Watch your zine. They also pushed a slew of merchandising and even an early consumer use product website. Unquote. That's right. There was a Zima.com in 1994. So with the ad blitz underway, Coors began putting out products in test markets. Quoting now from the Miami New Times in a 1995 article, quote, After almost two years locked inside the lab, the rib clear glass bottle, now dressed with minimalist black and blue logo, was ready to break into a few test markets. In September 1992, Zima was introduced in Nashville, Sacramento, which is where I had it as early as 1992, and Syracuse, New York. Coors chose medium-sized cities with high populations of young professionals between the ages of 21 and 34, including the Generation X group it had targeted as Zima's market. People who like to experiment and try new things, according to the brand team. The group also couldn't balk at paying premium prices. Zima suggested retail tag for a $4.99 per six-pack, compared to, say, for beer, if I recall, two ninety nine a six-pack? Those were glorious days. Going back to the article now. When Zima tested well, Coors brought a brewery in Memphis from Stroh's and went into full-scale production. According to the Arizona Republic, Coors declined to provide the detailed financial records for this story. The company spent $38.3 million, nearly one-third of its entire advertising budget, on the rollout campaign for a drink that wound up accounting for 6.4% of the brewery's sales. The Denver Post estimated Zima's advertising budget for 1994 at $50 million, which is as much as Coors spent in 1993 on its lead brand, Coors Light. With plenty of money behind it and major ad campaign touting the drink, Zima was finally ready for its national debut. Then, consumers tasted it. A flat Sprite, a weak gin and tonic, Fresca with a, lot, with a shot of vodka, icky beer, tonic water and antifreeze, dissatisfied drinkers moaned, unquote. For those of you have, who have never zipped a Zima, it tasted like, it, uh, it, it tasted like, 
well, it didn't exactly have a taste. I mean, there was something that might have been citrus, but wasn't. It wasn't exactly sweet, but it was sweet-ish. It was carbonated, but not heavily, so you couldn't, like, compare it to, like, a seltzer. Many of you today have enjoyed a hard seltzer, which just is just a Zima by another name, but even today's blandest hard seltzer is flavor-blasted compared to a Zima. The nicest thing one could say about a Zima was it was perfect for mixing, which you needed to do if you wanted it to taste like anything at all. The preferred mixer? A Jolly Rancher candy. Green apple for drinking, cinnamon for kissing. Or, or, or at least that's what the girl said. I never did that. that no, that, that, no, that would be weird, a little gay, which will be quite relevant shortly. A lack of taste, of course, alarmed the sort of people who were alarmed by any kind of drink that was aimed at the youth market, claiming that Coors had produced a beverage that was targeted at underage drinkers. An Orlando Sentinel article from 1995, ironically after Zima had already fallen off from the youth market's radar, said, quote, but national experts on underage drinking say Zima's sweet, smooth taste and lack of color make it difficult for police to identify and easily and easy for teenagers to consume in large quantities before its alcohol content, higher than some beer, takes full effect. This is a very misleading alcoholic beverage, says Kay McGuire, associate director of the Trauma Foundation for San Francisco General, San Francisco General Hospital. It tastes like 7-Up. It doesn't have the odor that beer has, and that's a big problem, said Nancy G. Rea, coordinator of Drawing the Line on Underage Alcohol Use Program in Monterey County, Maryland. How do you know if it's alcohol? Unquote. To which I can say, yes, of course, Coors wanted underage people to drink it, but they would never say that. And secondly, these people vastly overestimated the taste of Zima when compared to 7-Up. I mean, sure, if you feel like a glass of 7-Up with ice, and then you drank half the 7-Up and then let the ice melt and then drank that, sure, Zima might taste like 7-Up. But, you know, far worse than the concerns of well-meaning adults, Coors had a bigger problem. The problem was those people who did like Zima. More from Mental Floss, quote, The goal was to get Zima on the minds and into the hands of young males. Owing to the blanket advertising assault, that's exactly what they accomplished. Zima sold a staggering 1.3 million barrels of the product in 1994, giving it a near instant 1% market share in the booze industry. It was estimated that 70% of all the drinkers tried the malt alternative, as Coors would soon learn those numbers would only work in your favor if people liked the product. The company was disappointed to learn that many of them didn't. Men found the taste off-putting. And those who enjoyed it were precisely the demographic they were looking to avoid. Women, who normally passed over beer, embraced Zima, giving it an effete quality that marketing considered to be a grim death for the valued male customer base. If man couldn't feel manly drinking a pull of the clear stuff, he'd likely reach for something else, unquote. You see, in the early 1990s, this dumb country was in the grip of yet another one of our manhood crises, something that happens every 20 to 25 years in this very stupid, stupid country. With the AIDS crisis making anything not hirsute and flatulent come across as young men as, uh, you know... Sounds a little gay. And the rise of third-wave feminism roiling through the culture, Zima landed at exactly the wrong time for dudes to embrace. So, Coors doubled down on the manliness 
of drinking a Zima. So, you're all set for a barbecue. Look what my mom got. You gonna eat that thing? That's brain food, Kevin. What's the classic alcohol beverage with burgers and dogs? I don't eat meat, you guys. Cheddar, Gruyere. Get away from my burger, man. Do you guys want whale? No. Oh, well, you we'll putting that there. Chef class. Where's the cheese? Look at that. It's burning. Oh, man. Pile it on. Pile it on. Give me more. Hey, are those free range burgers? Who cares? Have a Zima. Don't let that touch my burger, man. It's hard to find a Zima commercial where the audio content reflects the sheer fucking masculinity of the imagery. But if you listen closely to what I just played, you can hear the digs about not eating meat or free range burgers, all voiced by female actors and a very unsubtle message that drinking Zima is something that a man, a burly man with a huge penis, could and should do. Coors was so worried about the association with Zima with less than doodly drinks, they forced stores that stocked the product to ensure that it was stocked in the beer aisle, not next to the wine coolers. But women, women liked Zima. There were many reasons for this. One of the biggest was the assumption, the incorrect assumption, that Zima was lower in calories than wine coolers and beer. The Miami New Times lays out the stats, quote, a 12-ounce serving of Zima has 147 calories, zero grams of fat, zero fat grams, 13.4 carbohydrate grams, 18 milligrams of sodium, and an alcohol of 4.76% by volume, essentially the same as beer, unquote. But thanks to the effort of the marketing departments during the clear case, clear was widely associated with being lower in calories when that was never, ever the case. Don't be mad at capitalism. Capitalism loves you. Also, Zima's taste and mixability matched with fruit juice and other mixers preferred by women drinkers at the time. And it wasn't long before Zima became a chick drink and dudes were treating them as such. No more girly drinks, all right. And then there was Letterman. Letterman was fucking ruthless on Zima. Zima was a regular feature in the top 10 list with things like top 10 sides. Your senator is nuts. Number nine, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, Zima. Letterman on the Russian president born Yeltsin's five-day visit to the U.S. in the fall of 1994. Yeltsin said he accomplished every goal in his visit except for getting to try that Zima stuff. Top 10 signs you're a shopaholic. Number three, you've even bought some of that Zima stuff. Top 10 Santa pickup lines. Number six, you buy you a Zima? Top 10 signs you're a bad surge in general. Number one, your cure for heart disease is Zima, and so on. And he's just constantly riffing Zima jokes into the monologue and guest interview. Letterman at the time was more than just a late night host. He was a cultural trendsetter. And what he joked about, people listened to, and he could sway perceptions without even really meaning to. More now from the Miami New Times. Quote, in the beginning, getting all that publicity from Letterman was an unexpected boost. But then some people on the public relations end may have misread the entire thing and encouraged Letterman by sending him cases of Zima, he admits. And not all publicity is good publicity. All that attention was nothing but good for Zima. Why not let the Dave, why not let Dave jab, us, uh, jab at us? Let's just sit back here in Golden, Colorado and have the top-rated talk show in the country incorporate us into his routine. It was quite an honor to be part of the show. According to Letterman's home office in New York City, not Sioux City, City Iowa, the jabs at Zima were nothing personal. Letterman's goal, a spokesman says, is simply to make people laugh. Once a joke, once a joke loses its punch, the show gives it a rest which is why you don't hear Zima jokes on Letterman anymore, unquote. And after months of roasting and just saying the word Zima could elicit a giggle and Zima jokes became de rigueur among the kinds of people who thought themselves quite a bit like Letterman. You mean like you? I mean, I, I might have dropped a, a few Zima jokes. 
from time to time. So with our sales tanking and the product a laughingstock, a desperate Coors begins searching for something, anything to save their zinking ship. That's when Zima decided it needed something masculine. Something darker, something bolder, something gold. Zima Gold. Again, from the Miami New Times, quote, From the beginning, one of the most frequently heard complaints about Zima was that it was too light and too soft for real men who want their booze to pack a kick. A whole bunch of people who tried Zima said they liked the concept of a clear malt beverage, but didn't like the taste of this product. They wanted something that had a much stronger taste, so we listened to them and created a product that was oriented to people who like darker, stronger goods. And that's how Zima Gold was born. Zima Gold was stronger than Zima, 5.4% alcohol by volume instead of 4.7, and bolder. Label colors of crimson and gold and black rather than blue and silver. The target market was men between the ages of 21 and 34. Gold is a much more polarized product. We wanted to attract some of the younger guys who drink heavier flavored products. We had a lot of trial from Zima drinkers who weren't excited about Gold's flavor, and that has a lot to do with the fact that they were drinking Zima, which is light and clear. And then they try Zima Gold, which is more like a dark-based distilled spirit like bourbon. They're not going to say both taste fabulous. I guess some guys just like their beer too much. Unquote. What did Zima Gold taste like? Well, I'll tell you what it didn't taste like, and that was a bourbon and Coke, which according to Coors was the flavor they modeled it on. And also, if a dude wants to drink a bourbon and Coke, which again, this didn't taste like that, they would just drink a goddamn bourbon and Coke. Gold was gone within six months of its release. The OZ Zima did not suddenly disappear from store shelves, which most people seem to think that was the case. Quoting now from Slate.com, which was charting the slow demise of the product in a 2008 article, quote, Coors was widely expected to kill the brand, as Miller had done with Clear Beer, and several Me Too mall alternatives, such as Paps, Eisenklar, and Stroh's Clash. They had suffered similar fates, but the company instead chose to re- reinvent its once-proud brew. It altered Zima's formula to take it even more like, taste even more like Sprite and launched a new ad campaign touting Zima as the ideal thirst quencher for oppressively hot days. Sales never came close to reaching their 1994 levels, but they did rebound to a respectable 610,000 barrels by 2000. But Zima was still a high-margin high product, charcoal-filtered direct that sold for super-premium prices. It could still earn its keep in low-volume sales, most of which took place in warm-weather states during summer. Zima went through two more complete retoolings, the first in 2004, when it was transformed into Zima XXX, Coors pumped up the alcohol content to 5.9% and introduced flavors such as Hard Punch and Hard Orange. The move was made after Zima had lost significant market share to Smirnoff Ice, which benefits from confusion over whether it contains vodka. It doesn't, at least in this country. Coors sensed that the only way to compete was by hyping Zima as a drink worthy of daredevils, unquote. The death knell of Zima did not come until 2008 when California changed how malt beverages were taxed. Previously, they were taxed at the same rate as beer. But in October of 2008, the new law taxed them at the same much higher rate as distilled spirits, and Zima's low sales and competition from its successors finally shuttered the Zima production line in the United States. It was highly popular in Japan, and Zima remained in production there until 2020 when the COVID lockdowns also locked down Zima. There were a couple of attempts at nostalgic reboots here in the, in the States, one in 2017, another in 2019. Another was planned for 2020, but again, 
you know, that whole COVID thing. Say what you will about Zima, it created a market for booze that doesn't taste like booze. The biggest which was and is probably still Smirnoff Ice. Smirnoff Ice Premium Malt Beverage. Intelligent nightlife. Be smart. Drink responsibly. Which was just Zima that tasted like something. Not only did Ice manage to avoid the girly drink problem, it quickly became the broiest fucking drink ever made. Um, I believe this ice is for you. <sighs> um, As you have just been iced. Okay, I'm not playing bros icing bros. Chug it, pledge. This game was popular like two months ago and nobody's playing anymore. Do you have any idea what the punishment is for a bitch and bro who doesn't want to chug his ice? No. Okay, me neither. I was hoping you would. In which, of course, one bro sneaks another bro of Smirnoff ice, and the second bro must then kneel and chug the ice, lest he lose his coveted bro status. Today, of course, no one ices anyone except for 40-something bros who never matured past college, which is actually quite a lot of them, so you'll see some dude on one knee in a bar chugging a nasty-ass ice even today. Then there was the four loco boom that came on the heels of the ice boom, which in which someone thought that mixing high-contact malt beverage with caffeine and enough sugar to kill 50 Wilford Brimleys into a drink that tasted like cough syrup and fuck you up worse than a truck stop date was a good idea. And of course, in 2019, we got the White Claw Summer. White Claw Summer 2019, baby. Fuck those glasses. Basically just a vegan Four loco. I mean, if you think about it, LaCroix, it's just a virgin White Claw. It's like a Four loco that went to private school. Ain't no laws when you're drinking claws, baby. Oh, my bad. I mean, it's basically just a rich person's limerita. I only drink White Claws on days that I'm with wise. That's all of them, Margaret. <laughs> I don't really know what seltzer means, but it sounds rich. If you look closely, you can see me getting barreled in that wave right there. Honestly, there was nothing wrong with the Zima. The ads are catchy. And the drink was, well, the drink was unimpressive in a bottle. But if you popped a Jolly Rancher in your mouth and drank your Zima, you really had something. You had a Jolly Rancher flavor buzz, I guess. Americans have a terrible taste in booze as it is. We keep trying to make beer drinking healthy. Beer isn't supposed to be healthy. You want a healthy drink, have a glass of water. Not a beer that tastes like a glass of water. Only in America will you find low-calorie beer. Have you ever tried a low-calorie beer? I mean, American beers in general are like fucking sex in a canoe. It's fucking close to water. And zero-calorie beers is like that glass of water you keep by your bed on a bed overnight that gets all stale and warm, but when you wake up with a cotton mouth after, after a night of drinking real liquor and you slam that down, it feels wet. That's what a low-calorie beer tastes like. Wet. Beer companies have always struggled to find a way to get their products into the hands of the youth market without appearing to be overtly marketing to underage drinker, which, of course, is exactly what they are trying to do. But how else are you going to get kids to start drinking? After all, these days, if a cool uncle gave a kid a drink of beer without their parents knowing, the cool uncle would be locked away for being a groomer or something. And Americans are fucking stupid in their attitudes towards alcohol in the first place. We drink like fucking fish and TV is inundated with this kind of shit. You. Friends. Fun. Drink. Hot girls. You're hot. Drink more. Expensive cars. Ass. Drink. Ass. Money. You in a tuxedo. Threesome. Vodka. Pussy. Drink. 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 You. Drink. Vegas. Fun. Pussy. You in a tuxedo. Fucking this girl. Vodka. Drink. 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 Drink it all. You fucking pussy. More tuxedos. More cars. More pussy. More vodka. Drink. 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 Please drink responsibly. You know, we tell a kid how evil booze is while they see that on fucking TV every goddamn day and you're swilling it constantly. You know what that kid is going to want to do? He's going to want to fucking drink. 
It's a far more effective campa campaign than any youth marketing a beer company could do. But since we so fucked up and no one is willing to admit there will always be the next Zima out there with a catchy marketing campaign and a taste that's supposed to make the youth market like the taste of booze. The fucking bullshit is that? You're not supposed to like the taste of booze. Booze is for numbing the pain of existence and life lived in late-stage capitalism in the final days of a dying republic. If I want to drink, I want to wince a little bit and feel the burn on the way down and wake up with a throbbing fucking hangover. The world's on fire, Donald Trump might be president again, and this is not the time for some sweet, sweet fruity fucking seltzer. It's a time for straight whiskey from the bottle, staring blankly at your phone screen while the next piece of hard horrible news pops up this podcast brought to you by jameson iris whiskey please enjoy responsibly <laughs> that is it for the show this week i thought hey we should do a nice light show after last week's bummer fest <laughs> and it's so much easier to make jokes about zima than it was to try and keep a show about you know the terrible things we talked about last week light and fun which we clearly did not succeed in doing. Speaking of failure, rate and review this show wherever you get your pods so others can check us out and feel that same sort of general sense of failure you did the first time you listened to us. If you'd like to kick us a buck to help us finance our homemade Zima production that we're kicking off, hit us up at patreon.com slash podcast. Now, do all the things Jeremy tells you to do in the closing credits, otherwise he will show up at your office and hand you a Smirnov ice. And so for me, Dave, if you can't say something nice, let's so, producer. Let me see if I understand the joke. Whenever an S is in a word, you simply use a Z instead. Gavin! And all the fictional Zima drinkers on this show, we want to say... Cool. And we'll see you all. Next week. I got some Zimas in the trunk, yeah, I wanna hit that junk. Don't drink and drive, if it makes you a monk. I got some Zimas in the trunk, yeah, I wanna hit that junk. Driving, looking wide, and I'm gonna go get drunk. Bitches tried to say that they don't make them anymore. Do you know I got a case I picked up from the fucking store? It's true, they stopped making them in 2008. Miller's Court, LLC, well, they must be kind of crazy. In February and 2017, they decided that they would put them back up on the scene. What the Hell Were You Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Excuse me, I ordered a Zima, not emphysema. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.